Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Six. And Father, as we outlined in the last episode, I have had Catholic upbringing and education essentially my whole life. Um, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic college. And literally on Mass on Sunday, it dawned on me that, you know, the whole point of saying the, the, the creed on Sunday is to recap what your faith is. You know, this is the whole point of it, which means I should know what every single word that I'm saying means. And the, the, the sentence when we talk about the church, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I'm pretty sure I understand what holy means. That's to strive to be holy. I, th I think I got that. Catholic, I, I know, is the word for universal. I remember that one from high school. I'm not totally sure where the what apostolic means in this context, because to me, um, I just I just don't get it. Um, I, I know that the Lutheran Creed is basically the same, except it's either missing universal or Lutheran or, or apostolic, and I'm not sure which one. Um, I know that the main difference of the faith is is that we really have the Eucharist and. That's the, the body and blood and not a symbol of, of Jesus. So what, what my question was is, could we just essentially walk through the key part of the, the creed there, what we believe when we say we believe in the church? Yeah, it's a great question and uh, really important. I love these, uh, these points that you bring out, which are things that uh, tend to become sort of the fabric of our uh, worship, and yet we never really think about and uh, there's a real treasure there. And I, I will also uh, point you and point our listeners to the catechism. So it does, the whole first part of the catechism goes through every article of the creed. Uh, and that would include that particular article about one holy Catholic and apostolic church and, and explains those things in a lot of detail and you know brings a lot around it. So I'll just say obviously a few words now to help you and our listeners to kind of tune into that idea. But uh, it is really rich there in the catechism, so so worth reflecting on. Um, I think the Lutheran Creed would be the same because that's actually the uh, what we call the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, uh, and so it was it begun at Nicaea. The first part basically uh, was was completed at Nicaea through um, uh, His Kingdom will have no end. Right before I believe in the Holy Spirit. The, the second part of the creed was like we have now in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And then at the Council of Constantinople, so Nicaea is 325 AD, and Constantinople is 381 AD. And so uh, that second part was fleshed out about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, uh, who, who is, proceeds from the Father. Actually, and the sun was added quite a bit later, but uh, and then I believe in the uh, one holy Catholic and apostolic church was elaborated at that point as well. And so 381 is uh, unified across basically all Christians. And so okay. we all use the same Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. Usually we just call that the Nicene Creed for short. Uh, N-I-C-E-N-E, -E, Nicene because uh, Nicaea is, uh, is a place in, in Turkey, I believe, um, modern day Turkey. But uh, 
So we we use that. And then what what do those terms mean? Of course, we've associated Catholic. That's become a kind of proper name for our church. And so that's where things get a little wonky. If you're, you know, Lutheran, you're professing belief in the Catholic church, and then people really need uh, some explanation about that. What's happening here? Do we suddenly become Catholic? People get a little, you know, weird around that. Um, and, but, but cut holos from the whole is uh, what Catholic means. So roughly speaking, universal. And that's the, the, there, there is one church that spans the whole world. And then we get into a lot of other things like, well, it seems like there's a lot of churches to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's another episode. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Catholic uh, is, you know, so let's just say the, the reign of Christ and the kingdom of God, which is established in mystery, uh, we don't clearly see, uh, you know, castle walls or something like that to demarcate the boundaries of the kingdom because it's not geographical, it's internal. So it's invisible in the sense that it moves through hearts. It doesn't move through uh, rocks and trees and forests. And so, uh, but it is universal. It embraces the whole of humanity. Here's a beautiful way to understand that. There is nothing that is authentically human that is not redeemed by Christ. And so that is to say, it, uh, it's not like it's only the, the, the uh, saving grace. It's not only for uh, South Americans or Asians or Western Europeans or Africans or Australians or whatever. It's not for any particular group of people. It is for everyone who is human. So it's universal in that sense. It really is the answer to every human heart to our longing for, uh, for love and wholeness and, uh, and eternity, eternal life. So anyway, Catholic is, it means universal in that sense. It's universal. It applies to every human being. So the Jewish, the Jews are, the Judaism is not universal and they wouldn't claim that it is, that there is a chosen race. Uh, and we use those, those kinds of words. Now that's the chosen race that God showed his particular love through to and then brought the salve the, the savior who then broadened the mission of salvation in Christianity to the universal uh, humanity to our to to everyone who is human. So that's uh, the declaration that our church, that Christianity and the and the, the structures through which that Christian faith is mediated is universal. You know, that's what it means. And so everybody is part of our mission territory. Um, and, and so we're, we don't hesitate to share the faith with anybody. Um, but uh, as you said, one holy, uh, and the, the oneness again, you know, it's like, really, there's one? It certainly seems like there's a lot more than that. And yeah. so there's a, there's a lot of things going on there. And the Second Vatican Council really pressed into some of these questions in some really interesting ways. And uh, how we understand that uh, that oneness of the church. And anyway, again, it's another episode. It's not what you're asking me. We can come back around to that. And then just to say holy as well is is really important because the church uh, the church is is holy, and and we see that already in the saints. So the church is also on the way. It's a pilgrim church. That was a a treasured image of Vatican II that is quite valuable and really comes from the letter to the Hebrews that um, he is the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus goes ahead of us and guides the pilgrim church on her journey uh, into eternity. And the destination of the church is that everyone 
who remains, that everyone is holy, that the whole church is holy. So everybody who is in the church, you could say, in eternity is holy. And so we are either now already holy or on our way to being holy or on our way to not being part of the church. That is to say, eternal condemnation and separated, cut off. So at the end of the day, there will only be holiness. And and so that's that's already there. And, and we recognize Mary, the all holy, as the church's very center. And so the, the holiness of the church is already realized. It's made real in the saints and particularly in Mary at the center. And then the rest of us who are kind of, uh, you know, gyrating around and moving with in not quite lockstep fashion, but uh, we're on our, our journey to holiness. So all of us are are destined for for holiness as members of the church, the church who is holy. So, so my, my, my question on the holiness part, because because I just had an image pop into my head and, and th- this might be exactly what you're saying, or I might have completely missed the boat. This one of these little checking questions here. It seems to be analogous to Moses wandering in the desert uh, because the people of Moses' generation weren't allowed into the, the promised land. Um, for, for unless I'm mixing up a, a key fact there, they basically had to die off and then their kids got to go into it. And it seems to be similar to that, except it's not necessarily a birthright thing. It's more of a our choosing to get there. Because when you originally started with the, the church being on a journey on a shepherd, you know, my first thought was just like the Israelites, there's an end destination we're trying to get to. And as you were going through, we basically need to thin out those that aren't going to be holy enough to to be a part of this. It's basically a step up or step out. You know, the argument that life is a test. Either you're going to step up or, or not be a part of this. And we've obviously covered the judgment and stuff like that. So, A, is that a, a starting point correct analogy? But where it gets into the question, and this just might be me mixing metaphors, is that that implies that there's an endpoint um, being for? But I think that you're meaning the endpoint for us as individuals. But I was hearing it as as the endpoint for the church. And then I get into this weird part of of nightly prayers every night. We do the glory be, which ends with world without end. Amen. So it, it makes me wonder, like, how does this flow? Um, like, I'm confused. <laughs> no, those are. Uh... Those are all great observations and uh, and and questions and comments. The uh, so first of all to so the the image of a pilgrim journey, you know, that is the image that the council is evoking, and that we also get to a certain degree in scripture. We do that as a people, and so the Exodus is very much intended to be a kind of pattern or a metaphor for what the church is doing now. It's one of the reasons we have Lent. We, we really delve into that Exodus metaphor and we have readings from Exodus in the, it's called the Office of Readings, the Liturgy of the Hours every year. And uh, so the, the pilgrim journey through the desert towards the promised land, and we actually enter into that pilgrim journey through the waters of baptism. And so the waters of the Red Sea this is precisely the imagery that's used in very rich ways in Lent and in Easter, in the Easter Vigil, and is very intentional. So that's absolutely the right connection to make. Um, I'd just like to nuance a little bit what you said, uh, 
what you said is really fine in a certain way, but we can get some different, we can get some um, false ideas out of it that I'm very sensitive to people that get these kind of ideas. So this is a little bit of my own thing. In any event, the idea that this is like, a, I don't know, did you ever read a, the, or see the movie, The Running Man or, or a, the, it's one of the Bachman books anyway, the uh, um, Stephen King under a pseudonym. Basically in a game. Yeah, yeah. Game. So, but it's the, the game is like, everybody starts out a hundred people and when you fall be- when you fall beneath like five miles an hour or three miles an hour or something like that, they shoot you, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy that's the last guy standing is the guy who wins the race. And it's all, I don't know, prisoners or something. And then they, that guy gets freed and everybody else gets executed essentially along the way. So that's not the image we should have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what's happening. And it's not survival of the fittest that like whoever gets over the finish line of the promised land gets eternity and everybody else gets left in the desert to, to rot forever. So just want to be real clear that that's not the image that we should uh, apply to what you are saying or what the church is saying in terms of the Exodus. Um, but, but to the contrary, there is a bonding. It, we could say that the, the effect of the desert is uh, that, that Moses with the people becomes more tightly bonded together in the constant presence of God who helps them to grow in holiness as they make the journey. So uh, in contrast to that kind of, you know, whatever, running man, uh, terrible uh, survival of the fittest vision, the, the Lord wants us all to succeed. And so he is totally invested. And even as he allows some difficulties or trials, it's only for the sake of bonding us more closely together, increasing our love, and deepening our dependence on him so that he can bring us all together through this arduous journey to be with him forever in eternity. So just to kind of shift the uh, away. Now, there are some athletic folks like yourself, I think, Joe, that uh, are like, yeah, right on, man. Like, let's do this and I'm going to conquer this desert. (laughs) And anyway, there's a certain uh, beauty in that too. And I don't want to diminish that. But but ultimately, the Lord is, uh, he's, challenging the strong and he's lifting up the weak and we are actually both of those at different times and he's doing that in a way that helps us to grow in holiness and bonds us together as a people in order to bring us all together into eternal life and having said that we do have the freedom to resist to break away to not engage and to separate ourselves and he doesn't he allows us that freedom so just to just to shape that image a little bit um, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's why would you? Well, I, I this is part of the, the the question I have all the time. Why would you rebel against this? And the thing that comes to my mind is is perspective. I, I guess is you know one of the hardest things we've been doing this for a long time is to grasp the concept of of long term versus short term. You know, and, and how that changes throughout our lives. Really, I mean. Long term for my son is three minutes. <laughs> so long term for business plans that I'm creating now are 15 years. But all of those pale in comparison to eternity. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's think of it like that. Whatever our lifetime will be, it will be a an insignificant blink compared to eternity. And, and it just makes me think of that as, in one regards, how how valuable this this experience of life is that we're getting tested on such a finite space 
that have such a, a infinite potential, but we're also trapped in this prism of time that we lose track of things around us. It's, it's so easy to put things off to say, Hey, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll go to confession later. I'll get it. It's on a Saturday. It's not part of my routine Saturday plan. So I'll work it in eventually. And that eventually never happens. And, um, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to go off track there, but no, it's but a really when important. You say it like that. It's like, why would anyone ever yeah. distance themselves or not want to be a part of the journey? And it's, it, it, it's to me, it's the challenge of our modern times that the church has to figure out how to overcome. Um, yeah, but nonetheless, well, there, I wanted to to just throw there is it out. a mystery. There is a mystery of iniquity. So there is something that's that's irrational and incomprehensible about sin in the strict sense of that word, where it's true malice, where it's true rebellion. There are a lot of things that we do out of weakness. You know, I mean, you can think easily of somebody who has been uh, hurt very badly and has been betrayed and has a very hard time trusting and forming relationships. And then what do you have to do? You have to fend for yourself. And then you find ways to do that that separate you from people and that also make it hard to trust in God. I mean, we can we can understand that kind of succession of uh, experiences and the weakness that's formed there and the woundedness that comes out of that. And so it's not rebellion in the strict sense that I have a free choice. I can see the path before me and I choose to go my own way and to reject this other path. Uh, and why would anybody do that? There's no rational explanation. I mean, there it really is the mystery of iniquity, but it's it, and. God allows that kind of free will. I mean, it's uh, it is staggering that He gives us that kind of freedom. He gave that kind of freedom to the angels. I mean, the fallen angels are those who had a lot of freedom, freedom enough to make eternal decisions. One decision was forever. That's how much freedom they had, and they chose to rebel. They chose to to go a path that, in some way, they thought they could they could overcome God and live without him, that somehow they could subjugate God to themselves. And it's like, how did they ever think that? But anyway, so there, there is a mystery there that, that's, not, uh, that's not fully understandable, uh, where we make true decisions and freedom to rebel uh, is, is uh, anyway, something staggering. But, but we know that that's, that's certainly possible. And um, anyway, so... Uh, do we have uh, time to get to apostolic? <laughs> I, I think that apostolic is going to have to be its it, it, it own <laughs> one there. You know, I, I started with apostolic and then, you know, holy, holy, like I said, that imagery came to me. I wanted to share, you know, I think it's been very important and successful whenever something comes and just sharing it. I think that that's something that in general, not enough of us do in every component of life, but especially in conversations about faith. and. You know, we did the, the episode of Virtue of Courage a long time ago, and um, it's really been one of the ones I've been sticking with me to try to do it, is to try to say, you know, you feel something, figure out a way to try to coherently say it, and uh, hopefully that was beneficial for everyone, the, the little pit stop on, on holy. And, and let me just add one, one little uh, additional nuance. I kind of said this in that summary image of God bringing us together as a people, but I I feel like it's always so important to emphasize that holiness is always oneness with God. And in Christianity, we have the revelation that God is love. 
He is a communion of persons who is so profoundly united. He is truly one. And so holiness in Christianity is always love. And, and that's just another little aspect, again, so far away from that kind of like uh, running man game uh, experience that uh, holiness, it has a personal dimension because I have to make a choice. I can't enter into a relationship of love without my free choice. And so there's something that's radically personal. There's no question. But sometimes we get the idea that holiness is all my own personal perfection plan. It's all my own striving. It's all my own work on myself. It's all, it all depends on me and, and only me. And it's all about me, you know, and, and uh, it's just my own individual training program or something like that. And that would not be the right image to get because holiness is always the perfection of love. And we can't get better at love without loving. We have to have someone to love. And so there's always something about holiness as we understand it, that holiness and oneness are going very much together in that, that profession of faith, that, that one and holy is, is really moving in the same direction. Now, the oneness is brought about by holiness, which is brought about by the perfection of love which is, of course, the manifestation and, you know, it's the participation in God. So just to say that uh, that journey of holiness is always something that we do. It's something that I choose, but it's always something that we do. And, and so it's a, we are a holy people. And again, to apply holiness to the church gives us that sense that, uh, oh, you asked about a destination as well. Is there a destination on this thing? Yeah, we believe that there is an end of time. Now, there is a new heavens and a new earth that God makes for us. And anyway, we can have more conversations about heaven and what that looks like. But yeah, there is an, there is an end. And, and what God is doing in forming each one of us in holiness is also forming together a body, the mystical body of Christ. He's forming together a people, a people that is truly one. And, and that fulfillment of the church which has already begun our, our head our you know, the part of the church is already in heaven and, uh, and the rest of us are, are moving in that direction and we're, we're all really united. So anyway, I just wanted to, to draw out that communal dimension. It's an easy aspect to overlook or to diminish, but it's really essential as essential as my personal choices. So also is this communal dimension and what God is doing in perfecting us in love and making us holy. And, and to tie into some themes that we've discussed before was that one of the ways that we become closer to Jesus was through suffering. That was one of the things that we discussed. But this is another element of going out and being truly loving to other people is another way to to connect to Jesus. Um, and, and for all the reasons you just said. So it's something that we can all practice in our week moving forward. How can we find a way to basically reignite love that we have somewhere in our life, maybe somewhere that it's, it's dwindled out or somewhere we just want to keep it growing and going strong. So something that really focus on as you guys are listening to this podcast today, in whatever space you're at, you know, find a relationship and, and make it better. Even if it's going great, make it better. And, and it's something that we all have within our abilities to do. And in doing so, not only is good for us and the person involved, but it does bring us you know, closer to Jesus and God. So we thank everyone for listening. We'll be with you again next week.